Chapter Fifteen of Some Everyday Folk and Dawn by Miles Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Alas, Miss Flip! I hastened to appear at the half past seven breakfast, as no excuse for non-appearance was taken, and the only concession made to Miss Flip, who had not been present at it for some time, was that she could make herself a cup of cocoa when she chose to rise. For this meal, Grandma ladled out the porridge and flavoured it with milk and sugar in the usual way. "'I say, Dawn, which of them blokes, Ernest or Dora, is the best boat-puller?' inquired Andrew, as he received his portion. "'You are mighty stingy with the sugar, Grandma.' "'Dora isn't in it,' responded Carrie. "'Mr. Ernest could get ahead of him every time.' "'So he ought,' said Dawn. "'His ears are the size of a pair of sails and would pull him along.' Thus was published another defect in my night, till I feared that it must be only my partial gaze that discerned a night at all. "'Dear me,' interposed Grandma, "'a man can't look or speak or walk, but he's this, that, and the other. Things weren't so in my day. Of course there were some things that were took exception to, but there must be reason in everything, and I don't see what difference a man's ears being a little big makes. My father's ears, your great-grandfather's, was none too small.' and he was always a good kind man i don't care if my own ears were big it wouldn't make me like them said the irrepressible dawn and grandma had just finished what she termed dosing the last plate of porridge when we were interrupted by the appearance of policeman danby at the french lights there was nothing strange in this appearance of the embodiment of the law even at that early hour of the morning for the huge man with the rollicking face and curly hair though a good officer in attending his work was a better in admiring a girl, which, after all, taking matters at the base, is the chief and most vital business of life, as, were it neglected, there would be no police or populace. Well, as I said, Policeman Danby knew a pretty girl when he saw one, and there being two at Clay's, that household, in the way of the law, was very well looked after indeed, and for the purpose of escaping the annual registration fee, Andrew's little dog, Whiskey, had remained a puppy as long as some young ladies tarry under thirty. Carrie, on rising to admit the caller, had the usual tussle with the door, while Grandma reiterated uncomplimentary remarks about the blessed fella, who should some time since have effected repairs, and Danby, upon entering, wore an extremely grave face, looked neither at Dawn nor Carrie, but addressed himself straight to Mrs. Martha Clay. "'I have to trouble you about a very unpleasant matter,' he said and cruelly all eyes went to poor Andrew, as it was but recently he had to be chased home for breaking the law. "'Yes,' said Grandma, rising actively, and though a flurried colour came to the old withered cheek, the spark of battle flashed in the stern blue grey eye. "'Could I see you privately?' said Danby. "'Certainly,' said Mrs. Clay. "'But I'm not fond of secrecy. Things is better open.' and this is the first time in my life I've had to be seen secret by the police. Come this way. We said nothing but dropped our feeding tools and waited in suspense, till in less than a minute Grandma thrust her head in the dining-room door. For mercy's sake, Dawn, look in Miss Flip's room and see is she there. Dawn rose in a hurry and boxed Andrew's ears as she passed, because he too rose and tumbled over his chair in her way. Some people ought to tie themselves up to be out of the way she ejaculated. "'Miss Flip is not in her room,' she presently called, "'and her bed is smooth and made up.' "'God save us, then. Mr. Danby says she's drowned in the river,' exclaimed her grandma. 
"'What's to be done?' "'We'll spare you all the trouble possible, Mrs. Clay,' said the man, with the respect always tendered the old dame. "'But I'm afraid it's a suicide. Some men going to work on the new viaduct just noticed her clothes sticking up as they crossed the bridge at daylight and reported it, and I was sent down. We've taken the body to Jiminy's pub, and sent for the coroner at all events.' Dawn and Andrew howled together in a frightened manner, while the sensible Carrie, who never lost her head, admonished them. "'Don't be jackdaws. That won't mend matters. Perhaps it isn't half as bad as some make out. Things never are when you get the right hang of them.' "'Things are bad enough, anyhow, but the way to mend them ain't to be snivelling. rapped out Grandma, giving Dawn and Andrew a shaking that braced them up. Things were indeed bad enough, and nothing could mend them. They had gone beyond repair. It transpired that my senses had been correct, and poor Miss Flip had not returned that moonlit night as I lay listening to the passing trains. She had ended her ruined life by waiting her feet and dropping into the pretty stretch of water under the bridge, where the locomotives rushed by like thunder, and from where could be seen the twinkling electric lights of one of the oldest towns in Australia. The inquest at which we all had to appear elicited information that fairly stood poor grandma's hair on end it was a great blow to find that she had been harbouring a woman who was not as caesar's wife and that it was fear of the penalty of her divergence from what is accepted as virtue had driven her to take her life ere she had transmitted the tribulation of being to a nameless child nothing was cleared up regarding her antecedents the person to whom she was supposed to be recommended to mrs clay knew of no such individual, and no one came to claim her. Her uncle, it was discovered, had a day or two previously sailed for America on urgent business, and after the girl's death an affectionate letter for her arrived from him. She had left nothing to fix the blame where it belonged, but with a misdirected loyalty so common in her sex, had paid all the debt her frail self. The post on the day of her death brought me a pathetic little note in which she stated that she wished to bear the whole blame. A woman always had to in any case, and as she could not face it, she had decided upon death. She had written this to me because she felt I had had an inkling of how matters had been with her, and she thanked me that I had kept silent, in conjunction with the observation that it was not usual for such as she to meet with forbearance from those who had had sense to preserve their respectability ah the regret that consumed me that i had not risked the unpopularity of interference and sought her confidence i might have been able to have saved her from such an end i kept my knowledge to myself it would scarcely have hurt mr paunch under the british constitution property is far more sacred than women but having a fatality and belief that there is a law of retribution in all things i hope to be able to sheet this crime home to its perpetrator in a way that should put him to confusion when he least expected it. There was ample money for burial among the girl's belongings, which were taken in charge by the police, and there let the cruelly common incident rest for the present. The affair so upset Dawn that she refused to occupy her usual room any longer, and at her suggestion she and I determined to occupy a big upstairs room, up till that time filled with rubbish. This being agreed upon, we forsook the apartments opening into the river garden, and betook ourselves to an altitude from which we had even a better view of the valley, river, and trains. Dawn so perceptibly went off colour 
that I persuaded her grandmother to let the singing lessons begin by way of diverting her mind. The old lady would not contemplate paying more than two guineas per quarter, so I saw a six-guinea teacher arranged with him to take the pupil at four, two of which I privately paid myself and Dawn at last set out for the city for her first lesson in the arduous and unattractive booing and aahing that lie at the foundation of a singer's art. End of chapter 15